Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As always, the Business Creators Radio Show comes to you from the field, in this case, from my sumptuous balcony in beautiful, sunny, hot Las Vegas, Nevada. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, our goal is for you to feel as if you are sitting in on a private mastermind session. You have your pad of paper out. You have your two pens. You have your beverage of your choice. And you're looking for those little aha moments that will give you that slight edge as you further optimize your ability to serve from your, brilliant, your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Today, we are going to explore a topic that is very much on people's minds, very much a hot topic in some of the discussion groups I participate in, and something that I have had plenty to say about over the years. As one of the sections of my book, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, is all about this topic. It's about maintaining client satisfaction through difficult times. And to share with us today, we have Sarah Johnson Days. Let me just tell you a little bit about her. She is the Chief Client Officer of Accelerated, excuse me, Acceleration Partners, which is a global affiliate marketing agency based out of Boston. Sarah has served on Acceleration Partners leadership team for over six years and is responsible for the oversight of the company's global client services team, shepherding the success of their key accounts, including Uber, StubHub, and Adidas. Acceleration Partners has received significant recognition pertaining to client satisfaction, including Forbes, America's Best Management Consulting Firms list, three years, 2018, 2020, 2021, and the International Performance Marketing Awards Best Agency, 2017 through 2020. Woo! And with that, Sarah Johnson Days, come on in. The weather's fine. Hello. Great to be here. All right. So I just read off your official bio. Actually, it seemed like more of like Acceleration Partners official <laughs> bio to a degree. And either way, candidly, I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here. And I'm the host of this show. What I'd like to do, and we do this at the beginning of every episode, is let's take a step back before we get into this very hot topic that I am just jonesing to discuss. And let's hear a little bit more about Sarah the person. Tell us about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Sure. So I... Uh... I, I often feel like I've lived a few professional lives. Uh, the one thing that has been consistent since I was 13, which is when I got my first job, is I've always been in service in, in one way or the other. So I started out you know, way back when in, in hospitality and then was in retail for a long time. So when I 
graduated from college uh, with a biology degree, which is irrelevant to uh, anything else that I've done in my life. I started working at Kaplan Test Prep and ultimately ran their office in Boston for a little while and was really focused on high-level customer service and, and running a PL there. Uh, and then I decided to kind of change course a little bit. And I was uh, like many people in their mid-20s thinking about going to business school and decided that instead of uh, kind of investing my money in business school, I was going to invest in my own kind of venture and dabbled in entrepreneurship for a little while when I had a retail business and an e-commerce business in the very early days of e-commerce starting in 2004. Um, so it was very focused and my whole business at the time was very much built on customer service and a strong customer service kind of reputation. And then ultimately when I decided to exit that business after a pretty good uh, seven or eight year run and in trying to kind of figure out where to go next. I had always been interested in agency and I'd always kind of felt that the things that had made me really good at, at servicing customers B2C would be really applicable in the client services world and found my way to Acceleration Partners. And at the time we were, uh, I think, three people when I started and far from being global, we were three people doing some work out of our apartments in, in Boston and New York. And um, I guess that the rest is, is history. So now we're about 275 people globally and you, you gave us such a great intro on all the, the things that we've accomplished and really proud of the service that we've delivered to clients to get us there. Yeah, a couple of things that jump out, as you mentioned, you've lived a few professional lives. And what I love about how things have evolved since I was in college, since I was in MBA school, and since I entered the world first in corporate, where I spent about three years in an entrepreneurship where the vast majority of my time has been, is I was jumping into it right around the time that the idea that you stay loyal to one company for 40 years and you get your gold watch in your shack in Fort Lauderdale kind of evaporated. And mm -hmm. I thought that was a great thing. In fact, I held down a full-time job while I was pursuing my MBA. And then after I finished the MBA, the question was, should I get promoted here? I actually ended up getting promoted diagonally because I decided to continue to work there while I built a venture on the side to get to the point where I could jump. Uh, and uh, But the other question was, should I go work for another company? What should I do? And somebody pointed something out to me, and it turned out that there were a lot of nodding heads around this one. It, it just was completely outside my paradigm, is... These days, if somebody looks at your resume and they see you've been in the same place for three to five years, they're going to start asking what the hell you're doing just sitting there. Are you on the move or are you just a time server? What's up with this? <laughs> so I, lo so I, love, I love the fact that uh, moving from company to company or from job to job every couple of years is no longer seen as a sign of instability, but rather as a sign of a desire to contribute and an innovative approach to your career. And I think that's fantastic. So yeah. I just wanted to point that out. And now I want to share my initial thoughts about client satisfaction. And I got to tell you, this is, and I'm going to give you the chance to pick this apart. In fact, one of the things that we do here at Business Creators Radio is our, our guests are allowed to pick my assumptions apart. In fact, I'm testing my assumptions here. It's, my, it's been my experience, particularly since the bugs started going around, that... Client satisfaction has gotten to the point where par is you respond in a timely fashion. And I find that with prospecting things as well. I've recently had the opportunity to engage a few different professional providers for a personal project I've been working on. 
And I can tell you that every single person who got hired was just simply the first one to respond and answer the questions the way I needed them to. It was really that simple. And part of it was candidly, I didn't want to roll the dice. I thought these, these are the ones who responded. They seemed to really want my business. The conversation went great. That's who I'm going with. Period. Mm-hmm. End of story. Uh, and, it's, and another thing that I'm actually looking into, in my book, I discussed the importance of having an online scheduler as a way of helping people onto your calendar. And I have found that in my experience, if I want to engage with a brand, I don't really want to play phone tag with them. I don't want to fill out a form uh, that is basically just fill this out and we'll get back to you, sort of. Uh, I want to find a way to connect with them. And I understand that in this day and age, and I've cited the statistics in some of my own writings, approximately 80% of telephone calls where the caller is known to the recipient go to voicemail. It's higher for those who are unknown. So me being a prospective customer or client calling all the blue, I'm almost destined for voicemail. However, if I can go to their website and I can see a way to book myself in for an appointment with them, whether it be a discovery call, whether it be an assessment call, whatever it is, even if the earliest available time is a week away, I may book that call and then stop my search. Because the way I see it, I've now engaged with that brand. I'm now latched into that brand because I got a call coming up with them. That's, I say all this just to illustrate, in my view, how low the bar has sunk. It's just simply a matter, in my opinion, if the brand or the company can make their prospect or customer feel connected, that's actually above the bar this day and age. So I want to get your thoughts on what I just said before we dive into some of your points. Yeah, well, I think it, it, it's really interesting, and I might I might challenge. So, to your, I will I will invite your uh, your your challenge to challenge. Right. I, I might challenge that it means that the bar has come so low. I actually think, and I think you're totally on to something. I think you're spot on. I think a lot of us behave in the same way that what you're representing, right? We would much rather book the appointment for a week out where we can book it instantly on our on our terms than you know, leave a phone number and have someone call us back, even if that person called us back and scheduled us for the next day. Right. I, th- right. I think, I think a lot of it is just where the, the world is going and, and social media and all of the things is we are, we are an instant, we have instant expectations now, and we don't have very much tolerance for waiting or for being on someone else's timetable. We want to be on our timetable. It's like, you know, someone sends you a text. Well, one of the things that's beautiful about a text is you can respond on your timetable. You don't have to find the time to actually, you know, find a a mutually agreeable time to talk on the phone or pick up the phone when someone calls versus doing it on your schedule. So I'm not sure that I, I, I think it, it's that we're lowering the bar. I think it's a matter of, of priorities shifting and what is important. And I do think that, you know, it, it does change the bar in that if you, for a lot of companies, if you don't give your customers, or your clients that opportunity for, you know, quick response and, and get back to people very, very quickly, that, you know, that is just so much less tolerable in this world than it was you know, five years ago, even much less 15 or 20 years ago when things were, you know, very different all around us. Yeah. So in your view and your experience, what are some of the best practices that you would recommend for maintaining both short and long-term client satisfaction, particularly with all the changes we've seen since the bug came around? Yeah. So, uh, and look, my goal, and, and we have 
we have clients who are of a wide variety in terms of their size to us. So we might have a, a smaller client where the account manager working on that client is working with a handful of other clients, or we have global enterprise clients where we've got you know 15 people working full-time for a single client around the world. So wide range. And I think I'm always thinking about how do I make sure every single client, I want them to say the same positive things about us. If I ask, you know, that big client versus the small one about their experience with acceleration partners, I want them to be generally saying the same things. And I think that that doesn't happen by accident. So to me, one best practice is really figuring out what is important to you as a client service brand, which is is part of what we're doing, right? Is developing a client service brand. What matters to you? And then how do you define those standards in a way that is, especially if you're looking for your business to scale, right? You want everybody who is touching your clients to be meeting the same standards. So we have really thought a lot about that over the years and kind of what are those things, making sure everyone is aware of them while allowing account teams and managers to you know, be themselves and put their own stamp on things and be strategically aligned with each of their clients. So, you know, I think things that, that matter, you know, number one is you, you got to hire the right people, which could be a whole other show, but you, you need to hire people that have that client orientation who, who really like that and then train them on your kind of way. Um, and then we do have defined standards and things we know are important. So response times is obviously we've just been talking about that when you're new to a business. It's just as important when you are engaged um, with a professional right. service firm, right? So we have a specific, you know, we always want to get back to our clients within a certain time period. And getting back to them may just be, it may not be that we have every answer, right? Sometimes we can give the answer quickly and sometimes it's just acknowledging receipt and saying, Hey, I got this. I will get your answer by Wednesday or whenever, but we've yeah. got a standard on the, the defined response team. Um, we also have a list of, you know, yellow flags, things that we might hear from customers that we know from doing this for years across a lot of clients, things that may be an indicator that even if a client isn't saying that something is, is starting to go wrong, there's certain things that are a yellow flag that we know we've got to make sure we are addressing to be sure something's not going wrong or fix it if so. Um, and then I think also, you know, things that we know are pain points for clients, and this is obviously going to be different for, for different kinds of businesses, but for example, for professional services, anytime there is a team transition, whether that is on our side or whether it's on the client side, which Right now, this is happening a lot, just given what's happening in, in the talent market in general. We have clients who are you know, jumping from their jobs to another. We have new client contacts all over the place. And we know right. that that's a pain point. So we want to have like a specific process to actively manage things that we know could be points of relationship tension. Um, and then I think just last thing that is definitely a best practice is that you want to make sure you are polling your clients in some way, shape, or form with some regularity. So we do a quarterly pulse where we collect, you know, your standard net promoter score kind of question. And we ask a few other questions with the goal that we want as many of our clients as possible to let us know how we're doing. And we try to make that as easy, you know, we should take them less than 30 seconds to give us that information. And it's really important, I think, to, to get that 
kind of regular pulse so that you can also see how you're doing with individual clients, but then also across your whole portfolio. And that that's where you start to see if there's trends where something's going really well or something could be getting off track. Yeah. So you mentioned some of the yellow flags that indicate that even if it hasn't turned into a red flag or a red flashing button, there could be indicators of something that could be trending in a certain direction. Now, let's go the other direction. From your perspective, what are some key indicators of client satisfaction? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think client satisfaction, I mean, certainly we will get direct positive feedback from our clients. So we talk to clients weekly or biweekly at a minimum, and we will get those direct um, kind of the, the, the direct feedback, which is always valuable. Whenever though, we, we get a lot of client referrals. So yep. whenever you, if someone's referring you to someone else, like that's, you know, that no one's going to put their name on a service that they don't believe in. So that is always a really positive indicator. Doing that pulse and getting your, yep. your net promoter score is always a really positive indicator. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it, it's interesting when, when people bring their boss into the room, that can be, that can be a positive or a negative indicator. It's usually yeah. something, um, but oftentimes when people kind of bring their, their boss or other people from the organization in or ask us if we can talk to other folks within their organization, that's usually a, a positive indicator that they're feeling good about the work that we're doing and, and how things are going. Oh, that's good. That's good. So, uh, and I know it seems like right now we're just doing like a Q&A thing, but I want to get some things defined. Uh, overall, what does client satisfaction mean for the professional services industry? Well, I mean, I think you're, so the, the interesting thing in professional service, professional services is that you are serving both a company and a person or people, you know, whoever your actual yeah. human client contacts are. And so it's always interesting because you need to make sure that you are sort of nurturing both of those relationships. And often yeah. for, you know, the, the person they want, they want that fast response time. They want, they, there's a lot of things that people want in terms of the how and how you deliver services, but then ultimately both the company and the person, you know, they are looking for those results. And I think one thing we are really lucky in, uh, in the business that, that I'm in, in, in affiliate and partnership marketing is it is very clear what we, we were able to make it very clear, like what are our, our quantitative goals for the work that we are doing for you? What would success look like? And so we always make sure we are really defining that up front. And then when we start to, we know that when we are hitting those numbers that we have mutually aligned on with the client, like that is going to lead to satisfaction. And then ultimately it usually means retention. So, you know, I want to me a satisfied company and personal person, you know, they are saying acceleration partners drove the performance that we want and we need and everything about the experience of working with them is also excellent. You know, you mentioned people and this makes me think of something that's going on in my business. And some of my clients listen to this and they'll know who they are. I'm not going to mention any names and believe me, this is all good. We have, I, the main thing I do these days is I help entrepreneurs and small businesses launch their podcasts through the podcast reach system. And we have several clients right now who are in our reach connect program, which is the one in the middle that really focuses on getting the show uh, designed and launched. The very first piece of that process is that the client is required to fill out three avatars. Now, we all hear, you know, do your customer avatar. We have them do three, actually three times two. 
You do one of yourself. Yes, you do an avatar of yourself looking from the outside in. You do an avatar of the people you want to have tuning in to your podcast. And then you do an avatar of the guest that you'd like to interview. And through all three avatars, the questions are actually somewhat similar. And it's designed that way so that it illustrates what some people might call gaps, but what we call the focus of opportunity. Mm-hmm. This is where, the, and, and we find those differences. These are where hosting the podcast can bridge the gap. Now, not only do they do one of themselves, their listener and their guest, but they also do the anti-avatars for each. So make up an avatar of a person who's unlike you. Make up an avatar of somebody you don't want to have tune in. Make up an avatar of somebody you don't want to interview. So that's what I mean by it's three with multiples under each one. Some of our clients totally geek out on that. Uh, They take right to it. They write paragraphs for every answer. And it gives me a lot of reading to do. In fact, this afternoon, I have one of those. It was just turned into me. I'm just going to have so much joy going through in detail. And in some cases, they really struggle with that piece. And I discovered with one client in particular that even though the avatar exercise is what you do first because it helps determine the brand, such as the title, tagline, description, what website to put it under, they actually function more effectively having their title, tagline, description already selected, which we were able to do for them based on what little they were able to do with their, those avatars. And then all of a sudden, they had inspirations on their avatar. Now that they have the name of it, they could now start filling in the other pieces. So my discovery was, and this came out during our pilot program we did about a year ago, is that different people will respond to the process in different ways. So you may have, through Acceleration Partners, you may have like a standard template or a standard way you like to work with your clients. But have you seen cases where you've needed to be flexible to how the client responds to you in order to get them to do their part so that you can deliver? Absolutely. And, and, and first, I will say, I, I love that avatar idea. Um, Thank you. I'm not sure there's a direct way that I can steal that idea. But if there was, <laughs> um, I, I, I think it is really good. I think it is, it's really good to, you know, ask and kind of get your clients to, to, yeah document where they're going. But um, the, the yes, absolutely. I think we definitely need to make sure that we, we have a standard, we have an approach, we have a process, but that we are flexible. We just want to make sure, I want to make sure everyone is starting from the same sort of set of, of, of standards and, and templates, if you will. I'm not actually talking about you know, written templates, but um, you know, I think one example and something that I have definitely evolved my thinking on in over the last you know, 10 years that I've been doing this is around uh, clients and their account teams. So, you know, for a long time, we, there's, a, there's so many factors that go into matching up a client with the account team that we put them with. And for a long time, you know, I kind of felt like, look, we are, you're hiring acceleration partners. You have to trust us. We will find you the right account team you know, you gotta let us, let us do that. And I, and we were perhaps a little bit inflexible in cases where, you know, clients, it just wasn't the people going back to that, the people weren't clicking in the right way. And so I think that's an example of something where, you know, I, I can't across our portfolio of 
you know, whatever, 150 clients, I can't have every client choose their account manager. That just would never work from a business perspective. But when we have cases where you're just clearly for whatever reason is some kind of a personality clash or it's just not working and it doesn't happen very frequently. Um, But I think that's a good case of where you do need to be a little bit flexible and you need to be aware of the humans that you're working with and that, you know, we are all humans and, and sometimes you need to change course Yes, you can. If you did that with every single situation, it then maybe you need to be changing your whole process. <laughs> but but you have to have that flexibility. So that that's one example of where I think we've we really evolved and found a lot of value in being flexible in those rare occasions where where something's not working. Yeah, and uh, so overall, overall, um, what would you say is with everything we've discussed, and maybe we've covered it already, and maybe we haven't. What do you think is the number one problem that we're facing right now when it comes to client satisfaction, whether it's with your company or just across the board, if you could pick one? Um, good question. I think for Excel, I will speak for acceleration partners and probably a lot of, of digital marketing agencies or other kind of marketing agencies, which is that you know, coming through these last couple of years, the, the, the old rules just no longer apply in a lot of cases. And, yeah. you know, we are also so used to looking at, you know, year over year comps and growth and, you know, coming through 2020 and now 2021, it's just, I mean, we all know in, in so many ways in our lives that the, the level of predictability that we felt and had, you know, pre-March 2020 is just different. It's it's not here right now. And so I, I think that it involves that that forces us to just rethink some things and rethink how do we try to project performance and and how do we talk about this kind of stuff when we just don't have the the comps that we've we've had in the past. Yeah, I think that I think that right there uh you kind of articulate the root of it, which is that there's so much up in the air right now, even still. At the same time, I also believe that that's a wonderful thing because I have seen several paradigms just absolutely shattered of what it means to provide accessibility and availability. For instance, when the bug hit, companies that had been resisting the whole let our knowledge workers work from home thing were now told you will do this or you will not operate at all. So then some of the evolutions that I've seen are some companies approached it from a command and control perspective. They would implement things like uh, you have to be seated in front of your computer and have your webcam turned on so we can see if you're actually there. Plus we're gonna schedule all these extra meetings just to compel you to attend so that we know where you are. And we're gonna make you log into our company Slack system and have people randomly send you message and then gauge how long it takes you to respond. <laughs> okay. And now you're and now you're wondering why we're in the middle of the great resignation. Other companies recognized, and this has actually been backed by studies, which I've cited, that for a person working in an office environment, like a cube farm, for instance, and they're there for their eight hours plus their mandated hour lunch and two 15-minute breaks, their actual average amount of productivity that contributes and makes a positive difference for the organization 
comes out to two hours and 54 minutes. What is the rest? What is the rest of the time spent on complying with ridiculous metrics of responsiveness that have nothing to do in many cases with whether or not they're even providing client support. Number two, pointless meetings. Number three, water cooler conversations. Number four, office politics. Number five, all the other ridiculous nonsense that just comes with being in an inhospitable environment. I've worked in cube farms. I can't say a positive thing about that experience because to me, it never existed. So they send their people to work from home and they find out that yeah, uh, this person looks like they may actually only be working five hours a day, but their productivity is way up. Well, why is their productivity way up? They're in a comfortable environment. They're not being interrupted by cubicle drop-bys and senseless meetings. They're not having to be worn out before their day even starts by a ridiculous commute for which they had to wake up at an ungodly, unnatural hour. And they also discovered that a person can be on the clock for eight hours as long as they have a way of being reached. So if in the afternoon they want to go watch a soap opera or something, hey, as long as if they get an alert, they respond to it like that, it's all good because their work is done and they're responding to inquiries and they're doing their job. And to me, I can't ask for much more. So with that, with that, I think what we also have seen is some adjustments to that, because from the employee perspective, it might feel a little weird if the company took the latter approach and now all of a sudden, oh, they trust us. Mm -hmm. And from the former approach, then that same company that did command and control, the second that they can say, all right, well, we want you to come back to the office. And they can say, well, you know what? I ain't coming back to your office. I, I do better here at home. Oh, and uh, if you don't let me keep working from home, I've already been speaking with your competitor. They're making me an offer. So what's it going to be? So with that, I actually believe, and this is another place where I want to get your thoughts on this. I believe that in some ways that increases client satisfaction because through, you know, and under the parable of God, you know, God, uh, how, how does that what is that phrase? I, I can always see it written, but I can never say it out loud. The one, the one where God draws straight with crooked lines, that's the one. We're finding a way where people are getting to places where they're more motivated and more energized to provide that support because they're just happier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. We have always said that, you know, I think one of the reasons that we have been able to achieve all the things you started the the show with and and gotten a lot of client related awards and et cetera, is actually if you look at our glass door and you look at a lot of the best places to work awards and, and all of those, like those, that's actually the the leading indicator, I think. I, I believe in in look in professional services, your product is your people, right? And yes. so order to keep people in, like we know client service is also, is not always easy. It can be challenging and you, you do have to have that strong company culture and your employees have to be happy. They have to be, I mean, look, everything that you just laid out on sort of the favorable side of managing and leading based on outcomes rather than inputs, which is the way that, that I like to think about it. I think that does really lead to happier, more empowered 
people and human beings. And look, we always, we very much encourage people to, so, so we've been remote forever. So we, we've been remote since 2017. It's always how we've been. We will always yeah. be remote. Um, and, but it's not just to your point, it's not just about being remote. It's not just that you don't have an office. It is what is the culture that you are building that remote does facilitate. So for example, you know, we very much encourage people to kind of make work work with their life and to be open about that and not nobody feels like they've got to hide it. So if I'm if I decide I'm going to you know go take a walk. So last week was beautiful here in Pennsylvania and yeah. I was like I know winter's coming. I want to get outside as much as I can. I've got two young kids. I don't really get outside in the evening once they're home. So I'll take you know walks or take walking calls during the day. And if I do that, I'm going to advertise that to my team. I'm going to change my Slack status. And, you know, I had a little sunshine up that said, I'm, I'm out getting some vitamin D. I'll be back in 45 minutes. And yeah, really, whatever that means to you, whether it's taking the walk or going to the kids' performance, or we've got some competitive athletes who need to work out for a couple hours a day, but really encouraging that and, and kind of making work work with your life, it does lead to happier teams, which to your point, getting to the end really does lead to better client satisfaction. It keeps people around for longer. It makes them in a better mood when they get on the phone with clients, like all of the things that can feed more successful professional services. Absolutely. It starts with the company culture and keeping your team engaged and happy. Yeah. My company isn't as big as Acceleration Partners, but we've been remote longer than you. So na, 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 since 2005, as a matter of fact. So, and, um, and what's interesting is our team isn't as big as yours because you're just, you're just scaled at a different level, just the way it is. But I can tell you that our Designer has been with us for 15 years. Our, uh, my own assistant, and who is also the producer of both my podcasts, has been with us for eight and a half years. And uh, the two people who support the podcast reach system side of the business have both with, been with us since the very beginning of that, which is two years at this point. Actually, no, going on three years. Yeah, since 2019, we're almost up to 2022. Believe it or not, almost three years in that business. So, and my philosophy has always been that most of my energy is focused on making them feel valued, feel like they're making a contribution, feel like they're well compensated for the work they're doing, and feel like they also have the opportunity to innovate. So my way of my way of doing things in most cases is to let them know the results results I'm looking for, and to let them know, uh, broadly speaking, my top three expectations of what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. And let me give you an example of the what not to do's. One of them is never write a communication and leave out the Oxford comma where it belongs. <laughs> I, I'm, I am a grammar nerd, so I yeah. can very much appreciate that. The Oxford comma has cost companies millions and millions of dollars when it's been omitted. I will not have that happen to me. Um, also punctuation can dramatically change the meaning of a phrase. So you got to have the Oxford comma where it belongs. Another is never say please, as in, please send me that document. I know it should be phrased. Can you please send me that document? This is something I cover in my book. And it's just a matter of that little slight semantic adjustment makes it feel less like a command mm-hmm. and more like an invitation to be a contributor who moves the company forward. Mm-hmm. Just that little subtle change. 
uh, turning it from a statement to a question and adding the words, could you or can you, invites them to be a participant rather than the object of an instruction. Even though either way, I, the yeah. bottom line is I want that damn document, but it's just how <laughs> you phrase things sometimes. Yeah, so, when yeah. we're, so when we're looking to get things from our clients, from our partners, what have you, we like that little shift because we want them to feel that they're participants rather than objects. So those are two of the three things that are usually outside. And then beyond that, I just want to turn them loose and see what they can do. And mm-hmm. if along the way, there's little things that come up where we need to make little adjustments, I would rather deal with it at that level than burden them with a lot of restrictions, rules, and guidelines up front that might mm-hmm. make them feel confined or make, make them feel worried. Uh, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? No, no, no. I don't, I don't want that. I want them to feel like they can innovate and just learn over time if there's other little nuances that creep up along the way. That's just... That's just been my view of it since the very beginning, and it's worked for me. And in doing that, uh, I believe to a degree I'm in line with Sir Richard Branson, who mm-hmm. in his companies focuses on, focuses on employee satisfaction as a way to achieve customer satisfaction. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, kn- I know what it feels like back when I was yeah. in corporate to feel like I was unappreciated, feel like I was fed to the wolves and every other thing you could think of. And... What, you, what tended to happen is this is where I started arriving promptly on time every day and leaving promptly on time every day, taking my full lunch hour, taking both my breaks. And in my drawer, you would find a printed copy of my job description with the iced tea mug, mug rings on it. <laughs> right. And I mean, but that, that is, you know, your, your, the company culture that you define is going to define how your employees approach work. And so in that that situation where you're being measured on your inputs, right? That you showed up for work and you sat in your cubicle for that predefined eight hours a day and you know all of those those things, then then you're you are, you're gonna, you're kind of telling your employees, all right, well, this is what I value versus valuing the output. So for you as the employee, you're like, I'm not gonna stay until 502 because if I stay until 502 and get a better output, I'm 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 only valued for you know, making sure I tick the box of being here from exactly nine to exactly five. And exactly. Any more than that? Yeah. Not not where you not the kind of company that I would want to build for sure. Yeah, but however, if you give people flexibility and if you give people a feeling of contribution, see, uh, if you heard of Dan Scott, he's the founder of that um, that merchant processing company, the one where he lowered his own salary to $75,000 and made that the base salary for everybody in this company. Uh, no, I haven't, but I love that. Yeah, love yeah, that. You've, got, you've got to look up Dan Scott. He is, uh, and you know, I hear people criticize him and say, oh, well, well, well he's, he's one of those radical left-wing socialists. No, actually, he's a capitalist <laughs> so, because, it, and, and it was shown. So when the pandemic hit his company, and uh, their revenues and their prospects went way down because a lot of companies simply could not do business and therefore mm-hmm. could not process credit card charges. Uh, his employees, without him even asking, volunteered to take huge pay cuts because they wanted to keep their jobs that bad. Yeah. And not only did he accept their offer, but once they were back in a place where their revenues were pretty much back where they needed to be, he reimbursed them all the salary and wages that they missed during that pay cut period. Yeah. 
So if you've got somebody working for you and you're getting paid $75,000, do you think that uh, having that security of knowing that they're well-paid uh, and can afford a good life and can keep up with the Joneses with the amount of money they're making, do you think that with that weight off their shoulders, there's going to be more energy coming from them that contributes to your company? Do you think if there's some big project or some big de deadline, they may, without even being asked, work late, come in early, skip lunch? That's how, that's how you get people to do that. Absolutely. I mean, I, absolutely. I, you, you, you treat people well and you make people feel not, you, you actually build your company such that everyone really is a contributor and you really do value everyone's contribution. It's not just that you make them feel that way. It's that that is actually how you build your company and you do right by people. And, and then I, I think it, it does, it typically comes back in, in spades. I mean, we, interesting over the years, you know, we've had some people who join and, and they've come from these very toxic environments and, yeah. you know, they, they just, you, you hear things that, that maybe you or I take for granted because we just believe it's the right thing to do and the right way to treat people. Um, but you get reminded that, that there are a lot of companies, your example before was, I've heard the same thing and it boggles my mind about you know, making people turn their zoom camera on the whole day when they're working from home. Like, what does that tell a person? It tells them that you don't, you don't actually value their contribution. You don't really trust them to, you know, do, do what they're supposed to be doing. So you're, you're going to big brother them a little bit. Well, like, what is that person going to do when they, you know, get a recruiter calling right now because the talent market is so hot and is what it is. They're going to take that call and they're probably yeah. going to be pretty open to that conversation versus someone who, you know, feels respected, has been growing, you know, knows kind of that the there's transparency coming from the leadership level. They, they kind of know what they're in and they, they are, they are supported and valued as a contributor. So I, I, yeah. Totally aligned with you. Yeah, well, we we actually saw that in reporting and articles and studies that have been shown that when those people who went through that type of stuff and then were told they had to start reporting back to the office, went to their employer and said, look, I've already spoken with your competitor. I have an offer from them on the table. They said I can keep working from home and I won't have to turn my webcam on. So what's it going to be? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, but that is interesting how em employers may suddenly change course once once they they know there's another bidder on the market. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's 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 always I think these things have always obviously been in play. They are not new, but the circumstances of the last two years have just amplified it both because of the the change to remote work for those companies, unlike ours who weren't doing this before, and also just you know everyone revisiting their priorities and what's important and, and feeling like, you know, feeling respected and treated well at work is important. Mm -hmm. I spend so much of my time here. I, people are, I think there is in general becoming a lower level of tolerance for some of the things that, that could, you could really get by with as a company mm -hmm. for a very long time. And it's going to be interesting to see where it all kind of lands and shakes out over the next few years. Yeah. You know, uh, and we've been hearing for years and you've, heard this from your perspective in management and leadership, you hear these people griping and they love to throw out around the term millennials. Well, millennials are lazy. Millennials suck and all this and millennials are going to be the, the death of our innovation and industry and all that. And I can uh, tell you right now, I'm a Gen Xer myself uh, and I'm just a couple years ahead of the beginning of the millennial generation. I have a lot of millennial friends and 
these are not lazy people. These are people who actually, to me, are very passionate about wanting to know that the work that they do makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you can harness that, you can get so, so much out of them. So correct. You don't want to get on a millennial's ass if they show up at the office at 8.32 a.m. because they hit bad traffic or got stuck behind an accident. You don't want to do that. Uh, what you do want to do with a millennial is you want to give them uh, space to innovate and to give them a sense that what they are doing is helping others achieve and succeed. That, they're, that what they're doing in your office every day or doing working remotely from you is helping the world be a better place with them as part of it. And if you can achieve that, you can accomplish so much. And yeah, the so-called laziness is even spread down to the Gen Zers and the one that's above or below that or what have you to the point where from the millennials down, that's the vast majority of your workforce these days. So the old model, I mean, unless you, unless you, and I'm just going to say this candidly, unless you're appealing to the boomer crowd and are engaging in a form of workplace discrimination where you only hire boomers, uh, you're not going to get very far. And I'm also going to mention that I, you know, a lot of my clients are boomers and they have evolved yeah. in this direction. So it's not like nobody's evolving, not only the people below, you know, from a certain date of birth and younger, but the same effect is also moving upward and the yeah. culture is actually changing in both directions. Yeah, it, it, it's fascinating. And I think this is such an interesting topic. Uh, I'm, I, I'm sort of with you right on that, that Gen X a little towards the cusp of the, the millennial side. And I know, you know, it's interesting. I think about, I think about the boomers, right? I think about my parents. I, I remember right, again, talking about remote work, when I first started working remotely, um, whatever, you know, was 10, 10, 12 years ago and they, they didn't get it. Like, and I think a lot of people of that generation, they didn't get it. Even at that time, the idea of not going into an office and how can you build a company without anyone going into an office and fully dispersed was really hard for a lot of the workforce to wrap their head around. And, and we've come a long way collectively on that one, obviously, but I think, I mean, you're right. Like uh, most of our leadership team is Gen X. And I think there have been times, it's been a journey really to get to kind of where I think everything that you just shared about, there just are some differences in how millennials and Gen Z, and now we all are starting to evolve to your point, but there's some differences about how different generations view work. And there's a tremendous amount, I think, of positive in the way that things are moving. And it's it's important, I think, in, no matter which, which generation you're a part of, I think it's always important to recognize how the generations, you know, older than you or younger than you have in different sets of life experiences and are going to come at things from slightly different directions. And it's like so many things. I think it's really important to to meet people where they are and to to recognize that you can't just look at it. We, if we were trying to lead a company looking through the lens that we would have looked through in 1995, we are absolutely going to fail because the whole company is of a different generation. Um, so it, it involves, I think, a lot of being open to rethinking and not making assumptions that because a different generation is approaching things in a different way than how you would have when you were their age 
that to your point, it doesn't mean that it is laziness. It doesn't, you, you can't kind of put value judgments on it. You, you can sort of say, look, it's, it is different. Let me open my mind. And, and then you start to see all the good things as kind of you, you laid out really well. Right. Yeah. And as I'm saying, this culture change, in my view, at least, and based on some of the studies I've seen, is actually going upward as well to our older generations as well. They're getting it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we're no longer at the point where you may have your you may have your senior manager who was born in 1960, uh, and yeah, maybe back in 1995, that person might have called in their administrative assistant ten times to ask him, "How do I save this Excel file to disk?" <laughs> They're at, the po- they're at the point now where they uh, they understand cloud storage as well as anybody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's say, t- speak in our time left here, a little bit about your company. Now, yeah. first of all, uh, you deal with affiliate marketing and things like that. I'll encourage people at the end to visit your website and discover more. But uh, how were your clients affected by the whole pandemic hitting us? Yeah. So one thing that was really interesting is we... Our our client portfolio spans a lot of different industries and, and verticals. So, you know, sometimes there are agencies that will tend to work with, um, you know, con- consumer products or travel or, or a specific industry or vertical. We have always had a really wide umbrella. And so it was interesting in COVID because what that led to is that we had some clients who were very negatively impacted by COVID. Um, and, but then we had some who was exactly the opposite. So, you know, as an example, we had a couple of really large travel brands and one really large global ticketing company. And, and of course those guys were really hit hard by COVID. I mean, no one was buying tickets to go to events for whatever. I mean, even now it's starting to trickle back, but it was at least a year that that was kind of totally shut down. So we had some clients that were in the bucket of everything is really winding down, but then we had others um, we work with a brand called Masterclass that does kind of, you know, courses that you can do really cool stuff, but you do it all from home, from your computer their business, you know, went gangbusters <laughs> during this. And we had some clients doing e-commerce who their e-commerce business just went through the roof because no one was going to brick and mortar. So it was actually very interesting because we were we were having these very opposite conversations. You know, we had a bunch of clients in March and April of 2020 that were like, how fast can we, can we pause our work with you? Can we wind it down? We got to, you know, conserve every dollar. And then we had other clients saying, how can we do more, more, more? This is our opportunity to kind of put the gas to the floor. Yeah. And, 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 and it's great that your company had uh, some ability to adapt to that. So, uh, you know, we've spoken about from a global perspective, how to maintain client satisfaction, but what were some of the things that your company specifically did to achieve that? I think the most important thing was, we very, very quickly recognized that there was no playbook for this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we are, we have a lot of process and standards, as I mentioned before in our company, this was, there was no playbook for this. So we needed to take every situation on an individual basis. And really what we defined as kind of, you know, our North star was that we wanted to do the right thing for each of those clients while making sure that, you know, of course we are still needing to, in some way, protect our company's interests. So, you know, as an example, when we had those clients who said, look, we want to pause work with you, obviously if we have 
too many clients and the more clients who pause work, you know, I'm, we're trying to keep our team employed as well, going back to that conversation. Um, But what we did is we would say, as an example of someone, if a client wanted to pause work because of what was happening to their business, we knew Yes, we probably could have tried to hold them to a contract. Most of our contracts didn't have, you know, force majeure clauses in them, although <laughs> that brands are certainly putting them in now. But, you know, we could have contractually held them to the wall and said, sorry, you can't pause your work. Look at your contract. Um, that would not have been the right, just wouldn't have been the right thing to do, period. <laughs> yeah. And it wouldn't have been the right long-term decision in, in terms of a partnership. So in that example, what we would do is we would say, sure, you can pause work with us. What we're going to do is we're going to mutually agree to extend your contract at the end from the period of the pause. So if we pause for three months, then let's just agree that once you are ready and we start things back up, we're going to add three months to the end of the contract. And we felt like for us, that was kind of something that was very reasonable to be flexible with the client for what their needs were while making sure that we were also kind of maintaining our business interest in the long term. And we, of course, had some places where we were even flexible on that because it just didn't make sense for the client. It, it, it was a time yeah. to take the high road, look at the long term partnership and, and do the right thing. All right. Uh, and I think that and I love that where. Rather than, because I, because I, what I saw some companies do is they said, okay, well, we'll just give you a refund. Now, does that even necessarily serve your client? Not necessarily. And to me, what I heard, what I saw written between the lines when you described that is you were actually taking a stand for their success. And by saying something like, well, we'll just extend the contract by three months on the back end, you were showing confidence that things were going to be okay globally. And that you had some sort of plan to get them through on the back end where they'd be glad they stayed with you. So even if you, in the, in the midst of the chaos, couldn't exactly explain what that was because mm-hmm. there were just too many unknowns, it would have implied to me if I was your client that, oh, they have some kind of plan here. Mm-hmm. They, they, they got something up their sleeve and I want to stick around for this. So yes, I'm going to agree to, I'll stay their client, but I'll take that extra three months on the back end or I'll take the three-month pause and just shift the rest of our work back three months or whatever it is, because I want to be in position when this opens up again and have my people in place. Yeah. And that's exactly right. And, and that is what the, the vast majority of our clients did. You know, we did have a, we had a couple who said, look, we are just not, we don't, we, they weren't stable enough or felt like they weren't in, you know, a position of financial stability to kind of make those right commitments. And again, we were, we were flexible there. We had some clients where we just went to a very keep the lights on service level um, and, yep. and we agreed to do that for as long as necessary. But again, I, I think the net net, the most important thing was to, to be flexible and to not try to create a playbook where there really wasn't one. Yeah. I had that situation with a, with a client of mine once they were on a $2,500 a month retainer. And uh, then something happened in their business. I won't get into any details, but they took a huge bath on it. Now I could have said, Oh, no, 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 no. We're on month seven of the 12 months. You still have to come up with $2,500 a month for five more months. But I also knew realistically, they just didn't have the money. Yeah. So what I worked out with them, and this was actually an opportunity. Now, if the person, uh, if the client uh, who was affected by this is hearing this, uh, they will understand I had this conversation with them at the time. This is not some earth shattering thing. So this gave me an opportunity to not only preserve them, and the relationship, but also to affect some things to benefit them. 
so up until this point, their culture was very much one where everything that happened had to go through a detailed review process. So one of my, so I was in a position actually to make conditions on this because I could have enforced, I could have enforced the contract. Uh, but I said, no, no, what we can do is we can drop this down by 75%. In order to do that, um, what I want to hear from you is a reasonable plan to get us back to where we were within one year, because I support your business. I, and I also want to be of support to help you maintain essential functions while you can temporarily not afford to do a lot of the things you were doing up until now. So that means that our firm will specifically render A, B, and C, and it'll be done in such a way where it's templatized and gets done without review. And I said this candidly, if we're going to lose 75% of our revenue, we're going to lose 100% of what's been holding us back from doing our best possible work for you. And he agreed to it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And as a result of that, they actually saw growth from our efforts mm-hmm. as truncated as they were because it just got that much more focused. And that little culture change in that one capsule of, of their business permeated to other divisions and other people they worked with. And oh my goodness gracious, I so want to say the name of this client right now because <laughs> they have been doing some huge things. They recently put something on where they blew their own expectations right out of the water. And uh, it's getting reviews all throughout their industry. It's like, wow, I want to say the name so bad, but I can't. <laughs> right, but but you, you, you met them where they, they were and you figured out the right mm-hmm. thing for, for your partnership and for yeah. your business. And I mean, that, that's 99 times out of 100, that is going to get both sides to a good place on, on the other end of the challenging window. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, we, and we're not quite back up to the 2,500 yet, but we actually are in, a, are in a significantly larger amount than 750 now. So, uh, so uh, you know, they've been making it up to us. They've been able to grow, which is fantastic. And they're one, they're one of my favorite clients. Uh, been here for five years, and I predict that uh, they will probably outlast me. <laughs> not too bad. That, and, I'll, and, I'll ta- and I'll take that any day of the week. So we're near the top of the hour here. And what I just want to do real quickly is I do want to invite our listeners to visit your website, which is www.accelerationpartners.com. If you just know the name of the company, you'll find Acceleration Partners. And what your company does, as I understand it, is you help people with partner marketing or affiliate marketing. So if you could just tell us in a few sentences, what is it that you actually do? And the reason I think this will be of interest, because we have a lot of people who market online and a lot of people who market through referrals and partnerships, I think might find this interesting. Yep. So what we do is we represent brands and we manage their whole affiliate or partnership program. And what that means is so that brands will partner with any kind of a publisher. Podcasters is is obviously relevant for this conversation. Uh And, you know, the brand will work with that partner to say, you know, how can you help to promote our brand? And then we will pay you on a performance basis. So for example, with a podcaster, we might represent a brand and go out there and work with, you know, a thousand different podcasters who will promote that brand. And in return, if they generate a sale, you know, someone goes and plugs in a coupon code and at checkout because that podcaster sent them to that brand's website, 
the brand will pay them out a, you know, a performance-based fee. So what my company does is we kind of, we represent the brand in those relationships, but we can, we are connectors. So we connect brands with publishers in a way that is monetized and driven via performance. Wow. That's, um, that is, uh, that, those are a lot of great words and I absolutely love that. So one thing that uh, I want to say for our listeners is one of the unicorns that I have been hunting for 16 years now, for about as long as I've had an entrepreneurial venture, people coming to me asking, who can manage my affiliate program? <laughs> and I'm wondering if we've now found that unicorn. So again, if, you know, if, if growing an affiliate program uh, is something that somebody wants to organically, forensically, and strategically do, Acceleration Partners would be an organization I would strongly suggest you check out. If you're looking to do more with your affiliate program than simply have somebody to make sure the link works and make sure you, that uh, the affiliates get paid on time, this might be something for you to consider. So with that, Sarah, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.